Well, good morning, church. My name is Brian Tate. I'm one of the Connection Pastors here. Uh, we are in a series called I Love My Church. Now, if you haven't been with us, this is your first time with us today. Uh, that might sound a little arrogant. That might sound a little uh, prideful. Uh, but uh, we've been in this series for about four weeks now. And if it's your first time today or you missed a couple weeks, we have all the messages online at stonepointchurch.com. And you can go to the current series and watch them all to see kind of where we've progressed in the message series. But I'll catch you up real quick. Brandon, he started four weeks ago and said, I love my church. And so we wear these shirts. And we're not just saying that we're not turning inward and saying, I love Stone Point and the people of Stone Point, and that's it. We're actually saying we love our church, which is a global organization that has multiple uh, people worshiping at multiple times. And they're doing great things across this world. And so we shout out that we do love our church. We're part of a larger body. We're part of Christ's body, and, and we glorify his name. We do things in his name so he gets the glory and not us. We also see that God is good, and he gives abilities and talents to his church, and he wants to use each of those uh, abilities, each of those people that are part of his church to glorify his name through those talents and abilities. And he wants you to be uh, active in your faith. We also saw that he gives us leaders, one leader in Jesus Christ. He came and died on the cross so that we could have a right relationship with God. We can be restored back into that re relationship. And that he gives us pastors that help equip and train up and instruct us in ministry so that we can go take what we get out of here and live like Christ wants us to live in this world. And then we also saw last week the dangers of the church. When the church is functioning as it should and everybody is moving along as they should, Satan doesn't like that. And so what comes in the church globally is the idea of wolves in sheep's clothing. And they come to lead people astray. They come teaching false te uh, teachings. And, and people need to be grounded in the word. So today what we're going to take a look at is when we say, I love my church, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean by love? Because you and I, we have different definitions of love depending on what we're talking about. You could say you love your spouse one way, you love your parents one way, you love your friends a specific way, you love your kids a specific way, you love your pets more than your kids, I don't know, maybe, right? You love pizza, <laughs> you know? So we say love in completely, I love sleep, you know? So there's just all these things that we love. And what do we mean when we say, I love my church? And better yet, what does God mean when he is shouting from the heavens, when he's shouting from the mountaintops, I love my church? And so today we're going to take a look and see what this means. Like, I cannot get past the fact that uh, we are fully loved and fully known by God. And if we are fully loved and fully known by God, we are actually supposed to take that same love and that same knowledge and extend that to the church. And so how do we do that? Because you and I, we don't do that. So let me kind of tell you where I, where I was going with this last uh, Wednesday and even last uh, couple weeks, we've been talking about uh, the, the creation and the fall of man in student ministry and kids ministry. And so uh, it just started talking like Adam and Eve had the right relationship with God from the very beginning. 
God created them in his image, and his image wasn't that they were physically just the same as God. They created the same aspects, the same characteristics of God, meaning that we love and relate to God perfectly, and that we love and relate and know each other perfectly. Now, the problem is sin entered the world. So if you take a look, right at the beginning, God loved, fully loved Adam and Eve, and he fully knew them. He fully loved them by creating them in his image. No other creation was created in his image. We have um, that they were provided for. They were given a place to live and food. And he walked daily with them, just moving along in life. We also saw that he fully knew them because it says that they were naked and unashamed in the presence of God. He fully knew them. There was nothing that they kept hidden from God. And then they also fully loved and fully knew each other. Like it says at the beginning of creation that that Adam is put to sleep and God creates Eve. And he wakes up and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's something different about this creation. And he feels an instant love for this creation and calls him one because he was taken out of man. And so you see that they love each other a different way than they do anything else. And then they fully know each other because it says that they are naked and unashamed in front of each other. Like there is nothing hidden. But then sin enters the world. And what happens? Their eyes are open and they cover themselves with fig leaves. They are now ashamed of each other or in the presence of each other. They don't want to be fully known by each other. And then they also, when God shows up, they hide because they're ashamed of what they did. And so we see that that relationship between God being fully known and the relationship between others is distorted. We no longer uh, want to be fully known because we fear of what people are going to think of us. And also the love is there. What happens? So God comes and says, why, are you, why do you think that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And he says, God, the woman you made, where's the love in that, right? First he blames God and the woman, Right? And then she says what? The serpent, if you want to get down to it, she says the serpent you made caused me to sin. And the love is distorted between God and man. So what do we do? We don't experience fully loving and fully knowing people. So we buy into two lies. We buy into two lies, or really we buy into one lie, and it it kind of shapes what it is. We buy into that we can be partially known and fully loved. So I am going to share with you exactly what I want you to know, what makes me look good, what makes me think in your eyes that I'm perfect, right? But the problem is, is you don't fully know me, so I'm not really being fully loved by you. And what does that do? It distorts our way of thinking because then we settle for being partially loved in fear of being fully known because we can't be fully loved if if we're partially known. So we settle with this so-so kind of love because we're afraid if they really knew my thoughts, if they really knew me, they'd either abandon me or leave me or not love me. And so we settle with that. So I think Timothy Keller puts it pretty much the best here. He's a pastor and he says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. It's very comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. You and I desperately want to be loved fully by somebody. 
We desperately want to be able to take off our mask, tear down our walls, and just have freedom in being known. But we don't do that. It's desperately what we need. It liberates us from the pretense. It, it frees us from pretending to be something we're not. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. It helps us realize who we really are and helps me realize that I'm not perfect. So it really puts me right standing with you and God. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. If we know we are fully loved and fully known by God and fully loved and fully known by people, we are unified as a church and we move forward and can stand through some difficult times. And so we see that this is something that we need, but we're so scared and we're so afraid to actually get there. So I'm going to pray. We're going to be in John 9. Uh, This is when Jesus shows up and heals a blind man. And um, I'm going to walk through this story and kind of see where we are, because this is the perfect story. I kind of relate it to today and how we are uh, living in this world, because Jesus shows up and heals him, and then he's absent for the, for the, the whole story. And so you're like, where is God? And that's what we see today. We don't see God. We don't hear God. We can't touch God. And we're like, where are you, God, throughout this whole thing? I know I've experienced your grace, but I don't see you in this difficult time. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you for today. I thank you for fully loving us and fully knowing us, and I do not grasp that. God, you fully know my weakness. You fully know my sins. You fully know my thoughts, and yet you love me for who I am. God, I ask that you help us to take that love, ignite in us a passion for your people. Ignite in us a passion for the people that will eventually be considered your sons and daughters. God, give us a passion to share your love exactly how we need to and to know people fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we get in John 9, and here's the start of it. John 9, 1 through 3. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And as his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the very first thing we see here is that the disciples show up and see this blind man 20 plus years uh, from birth, and they're like, okay, did he sin or does his parents, is that why he's blind? Why is he blind? Why is he cursed? Why is he part of this? Because back then, what they, what they believed was if you're poor, if you have a disease, if you have an ailment, if you uh, just are shunned by society, then you are cursed by God. And the one thing that God says the penalty for sin is, isn't cursed, it's death. Death is the penalty for sin. It's the separation from a holy God for eternity. It's not that he curses us because of our sin. In fact, it's something a lot worse. It's death. It's separation from our creator. But he doesn't curse us because of our sin. Now, there's consequences for sin, yes. But God isn't sitting here going, okay, you sin you're cursed. That's not what he does. So let's, and today we kind of say that same thing, right? Why am I going through this situation, God? I thought you loved me. Why do I have to go through this? Why am I, why am I dealing with this difficult time? Is there something I did, God? Is there something I did wrong? And we still think that today just in different ideas. And so we're going to see here how God fully loves and fully knows this guy here. And so Jesus fully loved him, but God does not expect us to fix ourselves before a relationship begins. 
Jesus didn't go to him and go, okay, why don't you go to the doctor? Like, do something special. Go get Lasix. Try to see if that helps some, you know? Go get glasses. Maybe that's all you need. He doesn't try to help fix him. Go to the religious leaders, have them pray over you. No, he doesn't even wait for him to ask to be healed. He simply starts. He simply loves. He initiates the entire thing. So God does not expect you to fix yourself to receive his love. And a lot of times that's what we think. We think, well, I'm not good enough to get God's love. If he really knew what I did, he wouldn't love me. Because that's how we love each other in this fallen world. And so we put human aspects on God. We say, well, my dad, he didn't really love me. He left when I was 10, so I must have an absent father in heaven. My, my stepfather, my stepmother, they love their kids more than they love me, so God must love other people more than he loves me. We start putting these aspects on God, and we cannot do that. We have to hold on to the fact that God is good. God is loving. He fully loves us and fully knows us. And so do not distort God's love with the way that we love. And so despite who you are, despite what you've done, despite that you are not there yet, God loves you. Despite who we are, God wants to show his glory through our story. Like, he was blind. It was very difficult to show glory to God when you're blind. Yet God, despite what society thought about him, despite what he has done in the past, he says, no, I'm going to use this man to show me glory, to show my works through him. And so despite what you've done, God still wants to use you in the right way to show him glory. This is love. Like he doesn't just say, I'm sorry, I can't use you now because you messed up. And he's fully no because he knows his sin. He, know, he doesn't say this guy didn't sin, but the sin didn't cause the curse. The sin didn't cause his blindness. God, uh, Jesus knows he sinned. He knows his parents sinned. He knows his parents. God knows you. God knows your thoughts. God knows your actions. God knows what you will do, what you have done. And yet he still fully knows you and fully loves you. Like I can't grasp it. I don't understand it. He continues on. He says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now, this little part doesn't really shout love to me. I don't know. God, so God, Jesus spit, right? Why don't you just get some water? Why don't you use a spit? Why don't you take mud and, and just make sure that the guy didn't see? Like, why do that? The guy couldn't see already. Why put mud on there? Why make it even more difficult? And then why didn't he walk him to the pool? Like, shouldn't he walk him to the pool at least? Like, take him over there, like, put him in the water? Or at least tell one of his disciples to go? Like, this doesn't shout love to me. I'm like, I don't see this. Fully loved, God doesn't do everything for us. He wants us to have that faith, that initial faith in him alone, that even though he's asking us to do something, he gives us the ability to do it. And so he didn't ask him, what, to go climb the highest 
mountain and then climb the tree on top of it and dive into the pool and stay underwater for 10 minutes, right? But he still didn't go with him. It's like kind of, um, if you've got kids, if you've ever tried to like, tell them how to ride a bike. You don't get on the bike. You don't pedal for them. You don't put them on the bike and pedal while they're there and then get off and say, all right, good job, you rode a bike. Now go do it. No, you walk along with them a little bit, and then what do you do? You let them go. And what happens? They go immediately like two feet and fall down and hurt themselves, right? And then they cry, and they throw up their hands and say, I can't do it, and they run off into wherever. Now, you as a loving father or loving mother have to go, you can do it, right? You can do this. Let's get back up on here. Let's try this. Let's, I'll walk a little farther with you, but you've got to try this yourself. You won't be able to ride the bike if you don't do it. And that's what God does. He walks along with us, but then he also lets us go to have faith in him and what he says and what he gives us the ability to do. And then God also doesn't want to wait to heal us. Like, he wants to heal us now. You see the urgency there in Christ. He says, no, today is the day that I need to do this. He goes, while there is still light in the day, this needs to be done. I am the light of the world, when pretty soon there's going to be darkness. And you see the urgency that Christ wants to just fill this man and heal him. And that's what he wants to do for you today. The problem is, again, we want to be partially loved and partially known by God. So we put him at bay, and he wants to heal you today. He wants to take your blindness and, and help you to see. And so you see the love here that he does not want to wait. God does not want to wait on us. He wants, he's there. His love is there to take. The problem is, is we are, are just kind of, we hold him off because we've been burnt before, because people haven't treated us right, because God really hasn't been there for me in the past. And so we hold him at bay when God wants to fill us with his love. Fully known, God knows exactly what we can and cannot do. Again, he didn't tell him to do something impossible. Can you imagine being this guy? How many times has he walked this, this, this path to this pool? We don't know if the pool was two feet or two miles. How many times has he walked this path? How many times has he ran into someone? How many times has he gone, washed himself, and come back still blind? How many times has he walked and tripped over something? A dog ran in front of him and he fell down. I mean, how many times did this guy do this same walk? And yet Jesus probably knows, hey, this is something he can do. He doesn't give us something that's just completely impossible. So he extends that. And he knows exactly what you can and cannot do. They go on here and it says, the neighbors... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. And he kept saying, No, 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 I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? <laughs> I, I don't know, actually. I've never seen the guy. Like, I was still blind. He, he wasn't here when I saw. God does not expect us to know everything to receive his love. 
He doesn't expect you to know the Bible in and out. He doesn't expect you to know or understand his love before you receive it. He doesn't expect you to know him fully before he extends his love. He gives love despite who we are, despite how many times we've cursed him, despite how many times we've shaken our fists, despite how many times we say he's not real. God still loves us, even though we think we know who he is. <laughs> and we won't fully know till we're standing in his presence. That's the one thing that just baffles me too. Fully known, God knows exactly what we need to know, and he reveals it in his timing. He didn't show up to this guy. He healed him. What did the guy know? He knew that Jesus anointed his eyes, he went and washed, and now he can see. That's all he knew. And he revealed that at specific times. You, you could be coming today and be like, I just don't, I don't think I can be in a relationship with God. She says, I just don't know him. It's okay. God reveals himself to you in, in time. This is a relationship, not a contract. It's a relationship. You have to move through this relationship with God. You have to learn how to fully know Him. It's not something that's instant gratification like we live today. Right? We have Amazon Prime. We can have everything in two days. Thank goodness, Wills Point, Texas. Right? We, we order, and it's here. God, I want to know you fully, and it's here. That's not what he does. He wants to spend time. He wants us to have faith. He wants us to get to know him. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day, uh uh-oh, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. He's holding on to that initial experience with Christ. How many times have we had the camp high? How many times have you had, you, you remember your salvation, but it just does not feel the same? God says, hold on to it. Hold on to the fact that once you were a sinner, lost and leading to death, I redeemed you. I restored your relationship because of your belief in me, and now you are my son or daughter. What greater news is that? We need to hold on to the simple act of salvation during difficult times when we can't see God. And he holds on to it. That's all he holds on to, because it's all he knows. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Where did he get this? Like nowhere in this story has this blind man called Jesus a prophet yet. Where does he get it? Well, what we see first is that God does not love by or through man-made rules. They had distorted the idea of the Sabbath. God initiates the Sabbath so that we can rest in him and rest in our relationships that he's provided. The problem is, is we distort the Sabbath and we make it a very uh, detailed Sabbath to where, okay, I can work some this time and I can build my own kingdom during this hours, but I'm going to come and spend this moment with Christ. And God says, no, 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 rest in me. Forget about your worries, forget about your troubles, forget about your goals, forget about your kingdom. 
Simply rest with me on the Sabbath and rest with the people that I've given you. That's what he's wanting. Yet man here has distorted that, and Christ goes, you know what? That doesn't matter because I'm going to love this person, and I'm going to heal him today. And that's what he's wanting to do with us. And then we also see that God reveals new characteristics, man, I can't ever say that word, of his identity when we need it. Like when you need a healer, God's going to reveal his healing power to you. When you need provision, God's going to reveal his provision power to you. When when you need a savior, you're going to understand what God did. And here he reveals that he's a prophet. Like where did that come from? We can't see it in the story. But somehow this man gets to, I was blind, now he's a prophet. So God reveals these things again through relationship with him. You have to spend time with him in order to actually know him. It continues on, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. How are you feeling as the son right now? Like 20 years, 20 plus years I've been blind. My parents should be rejoicing with me. I've just been healed. I've been saved by the person that I once was, and I'm now a new creation. And the parents throw him under the bus because they fear man. How are you feeling as the son right now? Good news. God loves us despite our family, right? And some of y'all are saying, praise God, (laughs) right? It doesn't matter if your family is wealthy, poor, abusive, loving, um, that they're believers or unbelievers. God loves you. God loves you for who you are, despite your past, despite your present, despite your future, and who you're related to. Hold on to the fact that God loves you fully. God knows what trials, debates, opposition, and persecution we'll be going through. Where's Jesus in this? That's my question. Why isn't he standing next to this guy as he's standing in front of the religious leader saying, I'm the one that healed him? Where is he? Now he's leaving him high and dry, it looks like, to stand up to these religious leaders that supposedly know God a lot more. His parents have disowned him, don't agree with him, throw him under the bus. Where is he? And this is where we start to ask, okay, God, do you really love me? Brandon said it best on on Facebook. Throughout this whole thing, and for y'all that don't know, Mark, his dad, was hit by a a player. I'm I'm guessing that's what happened uh, at a football game Friday night. He's at critical condition at Baylor. Be praying for him because it's going to be a long recovery. But he said it best, saying, we're not asking why, we're asking what. That God knows exactly what you're going through. God knows exactly the difficulties that you have now and you will have. 
And he's asking, what? What do you want me to learn from this? Because God walks through us, even though we don't see him, even though he's not there, even though we don't hear him, he is there with us. I can imagine Jesus, right? Standing back, just saying, okay, what's this guy going to do? Is he going to disown me? Is he going to like just say, well, thank goodness I'm blind and be done? Is he going to stand up for me to these religious leaders? Is he going to rely on the information I have given him, I have revealed to him? Is he going to do that? Is he going to be upset that his parents disowned him? What, what is going to happen to his situation? And he knows, again, what we're going to deal with. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, (laughs) he holds to it again. Though I was blind, now I see. I don't know everything about this man, but I do know I'm healed. They said to him, What did he do for you? How did he open your eyes? You ever have a kid that just says, Why? Go clean your room. Why? Because I said so. Why? We have friends coming over. Why? You're like, ah! That's what I imagine here. These Pharisees, again, why? What? Why? And you can read the frustration here. He answered them, I have told you already. And you have not listened. Why do you want me? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) That sparked a little problem. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And then something in this man completely changes. His response to this completely changes. He has a passion. He's ignited from something. And what is it? Because this is his response. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You say he's a sinner, yet he opened my eyes. You say he's not from God, yet he's performed a miracle in my life. Let's use some logic here. What you teach us is that we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Where did this come from? Point after question after question. He says, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, now I see. I don't know once I was blind, but now I see. Where did this come from? I truly believe that it comes from he finally grasped that he is fully known and fully loved by God. That should ignite in us a passion like no other. That should ignite in us something that we go out and we want people to experience that same love and being known. The problem is, is we're afraid of it. We're afraid that if we go and make ourselves known, that we don't have all the knowledge to relay them back to God. We think that we're going to say something that's going to mess up God's plan. Why do we think that? God is God. He can work through anything. This should ignite in us a passion, a love to fully love people despite who they are, despite what family they come from, despite what they've done in the past, whether it's been wrong to you or wrong to your family or wrong to someone you don't even know. So difficult. Yet God calls us to love people just the same way that he does. 
And their response should be what? Oh, I get it now. <laughs> Praise Jesus. God's here, right? What do they do? They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. So they cast him out. Where is God? Where is Jesus? He just stood up very boldly and the religious leaders don't want to see it. They go back to the fact that he's a sinner and they kick him out of the synagogue. Where's Jesus in all of this? This is where we'd throw up our hands and walk away and be like, okay, God, you're not real. And then enters Jesus. Jesus heard that, he had ca- that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, he found out that he... <laughs> stood up for him, he's going through a very difficult situation, and he seeks to find him. What beautiful way of love, forgiveness, that even though we shake our fists, even though we, we mess up, even though we continue to want to do what's our fleshly desires, God still seeks us, God still finds us. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe him? Because at this point, I've still not seen him. Jesus said, you have seen him. Really? I've seen this guy? Well, you've experienced him. You've experienced his miracle in your life. You've seen something that you cannot do personally. And yet you still don't know him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. One of these days, you and I will fully know God. We will fully know Christ. We will fully experience his love. And that will be when we're standing face to face with him in heaven. And then one day we will know nothing else to do but to bow down and worship our creator. And praise God that we're coming to that moment. Praise God that we will be in that situation. But what do we do till then? Like what are we to do in this life since we don't know what full love is, since we don't know how to fully know somebody. Christ asks us to do the same with people. So I have two questions for you, and it's questions that I wrestle with. How are you doing with God? Like, how are you allowing yourself to be fully loved and fully known by God? And how are you doing the same with Him? How are you learning to fully know about God? Are you reading His Word? Are you spending time with Him? Are you loving him fully? And how are you doing with this church? Love is a give and take thing. How are you at coming and loving your church? The church that you've been a part of. And how are you being how are you allowing yourself to be loved by them? How are you at revealing who you are to your church? How are you at allowing them to reveal who they are to you? I find it very hard if I'm married with somebody to come once a month, once a week, and to be fully known and fully loved. How are you doing with that? Like, are you walking through life with each other? Do you share your hurts, your feelings, your your, your mistakes, your goals. Who do you share this with? There are three real ministries here that we've seen this alive and active, and one's our journey group ministry. 
Journey Group is living life with a small group of people. It's letting them know who you are. And despite of all your stuff, it's to be loved by them. And we've seen it in region when, uh, Monday night that people are coming and they're allowing themselves to be fully known and fully loved by God. And we've seen it in student ministry. We took 70 kids to camp this last summer. I have not experienced this before, and I still rely on it. These students came, and I remember one night where they were allowing themselves to be fully known to the group. They were sharing hurts. They were sharing uh, their sins. They were sharing things that happened to them by people. And I can only hope and pray that they were fully loved by their church, that they knew what was, that God loved them despite what they went through. How are you at doing this? God desires to fully love and fully know you. He does it. Are you doing the same? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for fully loving me despite who I am, despite what I've done, despite when I've shaken my hand at you because I don't understand what's going on, God, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for your perfect love, your unconditional love, and loving me fully. God, I ask that you help me to understand it better so that I can love people the same way. God, you've created us originally to have a perfect relationship with you, and we have made, we have sinned and broken that relationship, Father. God, I ask that you restore people today in a right relationship with you. Help them to know they are fully loved and fully known by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.